You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and back with me today... To recap, Georgia's SEC East clinching win over the Florida Gators is my co-host, Curtis. And I don't know about you guys, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouths, but for me, that one felt good. All these wins feel good. Don't get me wrong, they all feel good. But that one felt especially good after the way last year's game went. And, And you guys know, you all know how I feel about Dan Mullen. Losing to him once was bad enough. I don't think I can handle that two years in a row, especially with what is at stake this year with the position that we have put ourselves into this point. There's still a ton of football left to be played. And look, guys, someone may well derail our season at some point. It might happen. I hope to God it doesn't happen, but it's certainly possible. But I'm just glad it wasn't Florida. I can at least say that. It wasn't Florida who did it. I'm glad it wasn't the clown prince, Dan Mullen himself, who did it. It doesn't mean it was a perfect performance, as we will definitely get into. I certainly don't think it was a perfect performance. There's a lot to critique here. But this one still felt really good, and I'm really, really trying, guys. I'm trying really hard this season to live in the now and just enjoy this season and each win along the way. And we will break down the win over Florida in a lot of detail here momentarily. But first, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. The holiday season is rapidly approaching. And if you're looking for gifts for loved ones, for the Georgia fan in your life, there's no better place to go to fulfill their Christmas wishes than Alumni Hall. They have everything a Georgia fan could dream of. They've got all the clothing gear. They've got all the tailgate accessories. Anything and everything that you want with a Georgia G on it, with a Georgia logo on it, Alumni Hall has you covered. They got all the best brands, a great selection, the best customer service out there, and they always have a bunch of great deals this time of year, so keep your eyes peeled. Plus, they also have the Hall Pass Rewards Program where you can earn credit towards future purchases. And if you're like me and you get hooked and get addicted to Georgia gear, you could rack up those points real quickly. I have about 50 or $60 in points just sitting there waiting to be used for the holiday season. And for all you military veterans out there, you guys get a 10% discount 
perpetually, all the time. Same goes for current UGA students. Just have your ID, and you guys will get that discount on every single purchase. So stop in today in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center or shop online at alumnihall.com. Also remind you guys, if you plan on making a trip to Athens at any point in the future, do yourselves a favor and book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage in Athens. The Normal Town Cottage gives you all the comforts at home in a way a hotel never could. It's in the best neighborhood in Athens, just a short drive away from downtown. It's got free parking on a tree-lined street. you got the best host in the game. will take care of every single one of your needs. So when you're making your next trip to Athens, be it for a football game, a concert, coming to visit friends, family, whatever it might be, Make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage. You can check them out on Instagram. Just type in Normal Town Cottage. You can pull that right up. Or you can check on the link on our Twitter profile, at Glory underscore UGA. It's pinned there at the top, and you guys can go directly to their booking page from there. All right, Curtis. We just exacted revenge for last year's loss to Florida in a big way. We put Dan Mullen and the Gators back in their place. We won another game by nearly four touchdowns. We nearly notched our third SEC shutout of the season. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to Atlanta for the fourth time in five years for a shot at another SEC title. And hopefully, hopefully, much more than just that. So with all that to celebrate in Baskin, you would think our fan base would be feeling pretty good right now. And I think that some people are. A lot of people are. They're basking in the glory of being 8-0 and number one in the country, living it up. But there's also, at least what I'm noticing here, a growing contingent of what I'm going to call yeah butters. These are the fans that when they hear me read off all those things to be excited about with this team in this season, they say, yeah, but insert flaw or deficiency of your choice. And, And I don't say this to insult people that have that mindset. Not at all. I think there are some legitimate concerns here, even though we are undefeated. I'm just trying to point out something that I've noticed over the past couple of weeks. You know, we run a Georgia podcast here. We interact with Georgia fans on about a daily basis during the season. We're producing four episodes a week here. And while there are still plenty of fans that are convinced that we're the best team in America and are just destined for a national title this year, in my observations, running this podcast, interacting with our listeners on social media, living in Athens, obviously being around a lot of Georgia fans here in town, going to all the games, I think there are a growing number of people in the fan base right now that think, yeah, we're really good and probably the best team in the country. We deserve to be number one. But, so Curtis, based on our conversations off the air, you and I, we talk a lot off the air, It's not just on the podcast, but in our conversations over the past week or two off the air, I know, I know you are frustrated with Kirby Smart and especially how he is handling the quarterback position right now. So I'm just going to put this to you right now. I have a big picture look here before we get into the specifics of this game. How do you feel about this team right now? Are you a yeah, but guy right now? I am. And I think the biggest reason is you look at this game against Florida, you look at the, the scorecard and everything. And you're like, wow, we dominated them and everything. But when it really comes down to it, it wasn't anything our offense did. It was all defense, which, I mean, I, I'm enjoying the season. Like, don't get me wrong, but I'm also being realistic in the fact that, yeah, we've been winning, but we have, like, we've talked about forever. We haven't faced anyone that's going to require us to score points and win with our offense. And that's not going to be the case all year. So that's why I'm going with the yeah, but, because our offense was anemic yesterday. And 
you know, you've made the comment. I feel like other people are like, well, our offense is good enough to win right now because of the way our defense is playing. And maybe I'm just built different and expect more, but good enough is never okay to me. Um, because while it's good enough now, that doesn't mean down the road it is good enough. And that's why I don't think – I mean, you look at the defense. We hold our defense to such a high standard that we don't even want people in the end zone. But I feel like people don't have that same high standard for our offense, which is what puzzles me the most. Um, because I just believe that to be a truly dominant team, you need to have those high expectations on both sides of the ball. And we, you're not seeing it. You know, everyone was like, yes, we had a terrible offensive game realistically. Stetson didn't play well. But our defense played, you know, dominant as usual. So it's all, it's all okay. So people kind of overlook the deficiencies on offense right now just because of this. And I think once we start facing teams – that require us to put some points up and our defense aren't going to hold under 18 points as you know the ESPN showed that stat like first time I can't remember how long that through eight games you've held a team um, everyone under 18 points that's not going to be the case all year and yes our defense is dominant and some of these high scoring offenses they're not going to be as high scoring against our defense but our defense can't be expected to hold everyone under 18 and our offense you know have time to work out their kinks you know our defense make up for picks terrible at the goal line and bail us out and give us chances and, you know, take the pressure off of us almost offensively. That's not going to be the case all year. Yeah. And I, you, Curtis, everything you're saying, man, you're making some incredible points there. And um, it's a very fair assessment of where we are right now. And honestly, I don't really disagree with you. Uh, just a few things I would kind of, I would, I would, I would throw in there, not to challenge you, but just to kind of maybe push back a little bit on some of it. So I would say, would you say to this point, we have been a dominant team? Even yeah, I think so. I think, I think yes, but I would say like the dominance is almost like a 70-30 split, like where the defense is the dominant 70% of the time, which doesn't require our offense to be as dominant, where we're not clicking. Like when we're not clicking on offense, it's okay because the defense is there to bail us out. All right, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Let's go back to like 2019 LSU. Now, LSU's defense that year, they got better as the year went on, certainly. And they were a very talented defense. But that was not an elite, dominant defense throughout that year. Their offense was dominant. And they were able, even though they weren't dominant on defense, they still dominated almost everything they played because they had one side of the ball that was elite. For us, can, can you say maybe this year for us, it's just like the inverse? It's our defense that's dominant. Our offense has been good enough, like the LSU defense was good enough. With a lot of talented players. See, that, just maybe have- that's the thing, though, is, you know, their offense could get them in the shootouts where, yes, our defense is so dominant. But if we do face someone that has a good offense, I don't know if we have the I mean, we it's unknown if we can score enough with them. Like with LSU, even when they faced a good defense, like we had a good defense that year. Their offense was just that good. Yes. But their defense was also good enough. I, I just don't know if our offense is good enough right now to compete with the way college football is, you're still going to have to score enough points. And when we're facing someone like Ohio Ohio State, potentially Oklahoma, some of these teams that can score 40 points easily, well, as dominant as our defense is, there's still going to be holes. I mean, you saw Florida out there ran for, you know, higher than our average in the first half, but the quarterback play and things like that didn't convert. And those other teams are, I mean, you know, I brought it up to you. Stetson throws that pick at the goal line. And then, it very easily could have gone in a half three to nothing. And you're not feeling very confident, especially with Florida getting the ball first, but our defense bails us out. But when you're thinking about playing a team like Alabama and some of those other teams I've mentioned, 
your defense can't be expected to create turnovers that quick and make it give you a 21 point swing right in within two minutes and 41 seconds. Yeah. That, that that's not going to happen. Not against, yeah. That's not going to happen against good, good coach teams and teams that have experienced playmakers and things like that. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, our defense may hold them to not allow them to score at the half, but even then you're only going up three to nothing. It's not that. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like as good as the defense would have been there. Three, nothing, still nothing to write home about. Yeah, I mean, what it was, I think it was three nothing through the, I think all the way to like two minutes and 16 seconds. I think it was when James Cook scored to go to 10 nothing. I think it was really like right before the half, there was three nothing. So it was a tight game for most of the first half. And you're right, the defense was able to swing the momentum there. The defense won the football game. Offense did enough. Yeah. You're 100% right, Curtis. A lot, of, a lot of what you're saying there. Here's another thing I would, I would, I would ask you though. All right. So I would totally agree with you. That in saying that we have not played an elite offense, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, I think the closest thing that we played to an elite offense is Arkansas, and Arkansas is not an elite offense. I mean, they're a borderline top 20 offense, but they're I would not call them an elite offense. So I think that's very fair in saying that we have not been challenged in a way that we're gonna be challenged by some of the, the tougher teams on our schedule in terms of like when we get to the postseason. It, like obviously, we're going to Atlanta now, we'll probably play Alabama there. We have not faced an offense like Alabama. If we get the college playoff, we're fortunate enough to, to keep it rolling, get there and we play in Oklahoma or with Caleb Williams or in Ohio State, as you mentioned, those are different types of offenses. We have not faced anything like that. I will totally agree with you there, and I'm not going to lie and say that I don't have any some concerns there because those teams will challenge us in different ways. Absolutely. They're just more prolific offensive than anything that we face. It's really not even close. But I would also say that I feel like you're just kind of assuming that when we play one of those teams in, in Alabama and Ohio State, that they're, they're going to drop 30 or 40 in our defense. And I don't know if that's – like. I did mention I don't think they would play to, you know, score their 40 points, but they're going to score and our offense isn't going to have those opportunities to, you know, have, um, you know, a quarter and a half where they because you're seeing it a lot where our our offense for like a quarter and a half also becomes anemic. They don't do anything except just, you know, turn the ball over or just stall out drives. And when you're playing good teams like that, you can't afford to have you know, two or three drives in a row where you're doing absolutely nothing. I do agree with that. And I will say, like, Florida's defense is not really good. They're okay. No, they're fine. They, they embarrassed us realistically. Like, um, the fact, like, honestly, they, sh- we did not stretch them vertically. You saw Gary Danielson say it, and it was very true. I mean, yeah, he, you know, bashes Georgia a lot of the time, but he was very true in his analysis of we weren't going to scare them vertically. And so they were keeping everything in front of us, in front of them, and just really stuffing us for the most part. I don't – I thought we ran the ball, like, effectively when we ran the ball for the most part. I think we averaged about five yards a carry. I mean, I, I know Zeus broke that one at the end, but I thought, like, we – like, I don't feel like they shut us down and run the ball. We didn't expose the plays in the run game outside of Zeus's touchdown there to end the game, kind of seal things. And that's been a concern of mine all year long is that we just haven't been explosive enough in the run game. We've hit a couple plays here and there, but just not near as consistently as like as we've had in the past. I think back to like 2017, 2018, we were just biting off chunks of yards in the run game. We're still not doing that right now offensively. And when you're not dynamic, like we've hit some big plays in the past game, but we're not overly dynamic in the past game. Clearly, as you said, Curtis, I agree with you there. That's something like we were able like to mask some of those, like I don't want to say passing deficiencies in 2017. But I mean, we had a young quarterback as a true freshman, kind of trying to lead us to a national title. But it was we didn't need hit big plays in the passing game consistently that year because we were just hitting massive plays, game after game in the run game. We're not doing that right now. Yeah, we don't we don't have those home run 
plays that we, you know, you, you, everyone talks about that Florida game. You go back and watch replays and stuff. Sony ripped off what three forty, two forty yard plus touchdown mm-hmm. runs. We're not getting that. We got one out of Zeus, but that that's a that's a rarity this year. And, and part of that, we talk about this all seasons. We're not doing a great job blocking on the perimeter on the edges. There, we're just we're yeah, just not. Our receivers so, have very poor. Uh, yeah, block. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. They're just we're we're not doing a great job. But they're not. It's not. We're not blocking on the edges with our receivers to the standard that we have in years past. And that's not the only problem. We don't have, you know, we don't have a Sony Michelle. We don't have a Nick Chubb. We don't have a DeAndre Swift right now. We have some guys that can make big plays. We don't have those kind of guys right now. And I love our running back room. It's it's a great running back room, but it's like not those kind of guys. So it's a combination of all those things. And I think like when you're, when you're trying to make that your identity, because clearly that's what we're doing. We're, I've said this many times past couple of weeks. We're basically morphing into the 2017 Georgia football team, right? It's a better version of defensively, but offensively it's looking increasingly similar week in and week out. And I just, yeah. I don't think we have the offensive line that we had in 2017. And I don't think that we have the backs that we had in 2017. So that's going to be our identity. That's okay. And like our defense is significantly better in my opinion than what it was in 2017. That's the big difference here. But offensively, I don't know if we're quite there yet. I won't get more of that later on this. We have a mailbag well, question and, about and that. My, and a lot of my problems, too is that you know talking about our offensive and everything a lot of it too comes down to recruiting which you know as good as we are you see us cranking out all these commits and things the one thing you're noticing is it's not difference makers especially on the outside um a lot of hand wringing over our wide receiver recruiting and year in year out it's always you know once you you always hear the pitch and things like oh guys come here and help us change our offense yeah well we're into what year six or seven under kirby smart now and you're not seeing these changes. You're showing, okay, yeah, we're fine going back to that, that you know, what you're talking about, the formula from 2018. Well, then why the heck is anything ever going to change? Why are kids going to come here when we're just in, okay playing p- bully ball? And I know you're like, well, yeah, it's winning. But if you want those game changers to make the move to a more explosive offense, you're doing nothing to get them on campus. Okay, I think it's a fair assessment. We're recruiting extraordinarily well, number one in the country right now, but that is one spot where we continue to not recruit maybe as at as high of a level as the other spots. How much, though, Curtis, how much does that have to do with the injury situation on offense, the, what we're morphing into offensive, the identity that we're building, how much of that is due to the injury situation? Well, honestly, right now it's hard to tell because once they're coming back and healthy, we'll truly have an idea of if, if that's okay which, with what you're – if you're okay accepting just good, just enough, or if it truly is for the injuries, we will find out. But right now it's just not looking good. And the fact is also we don't know if it's because of the injuries or not. So I'm going to try to reserve judgment before I fully commit to, to the idea, but right now it's not looking good. And also a fact is our history of not you know recruiting these big guys, only getting one or two every now and then, which is what we kind of have had, also shows why we're having that trouble because we're having to rely on kids like Lad McConkey. And as much as he's showing out and doing things, we haven't shown enough to even get those guys in the past. So why is anything going to change in the future? Yeah, I mean that, that's a really fair point. Uh, I do think the injuries though are playing a because big role. I mean I'm looking forward to while I'm while I'm enjoying this year. You do also have to look for the future and be like if we're going to sustain any success you're not going to have defenses like this year in year out. So we're going to have to have an explosive offense, especially next year after we lose probably a lot of pieces and we're not getting enough realistically. 
Yeah, I think our offense needs to be more explosive, more consistently. I mean, Stetson's done a good job for the most part since he's taken over these past couple weeks of, of hitting some shots in the vertical passing game. But we're not explosive on a down-in, down-out basis right now. That We're just not stressing teams like I thought we were going to. But I think go back to the beginning of the year, Curtis. I know it seems like forever ago now, eons ago at this point. But we opened the season as Clemson. We threw the ball. Now, we weren't really trying to stretch the field as much the way they were playing us, but we threw the ball 30 plus times in that game against South Carolina. JT was throwing the ball. We we're trying to get some explosive plays. And then the injuries that receivers get banged up. JT gets banged up. You bring in Stetson. I mean, think about the Auburn game and not just the Auburn game, really the past couple weeks. I mean, you're basically rolling with AD Mitchell and Lad McConkey out there almost exclusively. And a couple guys here and there come in to spell them occasionally. But we just don't have the bodies out there right now. Yes, Jermaine Burton came back. Yes, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Sane came back. Yes, Arian Smith came back. They're cleared. They played on Saturday. But you can tell they're clearly not fully back yet. And we're still trying to work them back into things. And obviously, JT is cleared. But is JT 100%? We'll get to that here in a second. I don't know. But he's cleared to play. He's practicing those kind of things. So I think a big part of what we are right now from an offensive identity standpoint is due to injuries. I don't think this was the plan for what – I think coming into this season, I don't think sitting here going into week 10, Todd Munkin thought this is what the offense was going to look like. I don't think this is what his plan was for this offense. I think it's what this offense has had to become by necessity through injuries and also the fact that our defense is playing absolutely out of their freaking minds right now. And at this point, when the defense is playing so well, and Curtis, I agree that I don't know if that's sustainable against better teams that are more capable of scoring points. I don't know. I have concerns there. But I, on some level, I understand how you want the offense with all the injuries to play complimentary football to your defense, especially when we're still, even with the injuries on offense, even though we haven't been dynamic on offense, we're still dominating teams on the scoreboard. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you look at the Florida game, you look at the score, like, score chart and everything, and you're like, wow. But the fact is, did you watch the game the whole time? Because you saw our offense outside of two one-score drives and Zeus's big run, they were ter- like, the offense was pretty mediocre against a not. Yeah, I think that's being generous defense. for most of the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's against a not a not dominant floor defense. I know they had two weeks, and you know maybe has something to prove, but there's still no excuse. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
Very fair. Very fair. Right, now, I really want to get to the crux of the issue, which I know is the crux of your frustration with Kirby Smart. Because you were texting me when word leaked out. I know we were holding out hope that maybe JT would get the start here. Word started to leak out on Friday that it was going to be Stetson, and, and you um, fired off some texts to me. I know you were very, very upset and frustrated with that decision. So I'm going to give you the floor here to talk about that decision. Uh, why do you think Kirby Smart is continuing to roll with Stetson Bennett, and how do you feel about that right now? Um, well, first off, I stand by my statement that I don't think Kirby Smart has, I'm going to try to be PG, has the guts to rock boats, to do, to make the changes. Try. I mean, yeah, or like maybe, you know, we had had continuity. That's what you heard him say about Stetson coming into this week. Well, what did that continuity really do outside of one bit, that touchdown pass to Curious? That continuity didn't do anything to help us win this game. So that whole continuity argument kind of went out the window in that game, to my, especially in this game. You know, Kirby Smart for the last couple of years has been facing a lot of criticism over the just Jake Fromm and Justin Fields situation. And we we're hoping he's going to move past that. Well, it doesn't look like he is. Um, and I know that was a hard decision back then, but this is a hard decision too. You have to look at the long term. Is the continuity now okay with going forward? Because, and it's also this, this narrative around Stetson where people are like, oh, since he's taken over, he hasn't had interceptions. But what about the South Carolina game where he throws that horrible pick? against Vanderbilt, horrible interception, not, you know, doing things well. So people always forget that and just always try to look at the good on Stetson. And like I mentioned with Gary, uh, Gary talking about, we weren't going to stri- – we didn't scare anyone vertically against Florida. They were not afraid of us hitting them vertical. And then you go out there and throw two terrible picks. Now, if you're wanting – you know, you're talking about the 2018 formula. Okay, if that's the form you want to be at, you still can't have someone turning it over especially towards the goal line like that throw, that first throw. And then the second throw when we're kind of trying to do the kill shot. To the 2018 formula was to protect the ball. And if you're not protecting the ball, is the formula really working either? Those are and two terrible just, interceptions. The second one was – the first one, I, I'm not even sure. He just basically – The first, the first one, shot, I, the, on, the only people no he was what. throwing it to – Yeah, the only, the only two people that could have caught the ball were the two Florida guys. We dialed and, up a vertical both shot, time. and he was just going to take it. That, that was what happened there. Yeah, and, and that's what I've always talked about, too, with his gunslinger mentality where, you know, people said, well, he's changed. Well, if he's going to throw the ball 30 to 40 times, I'm guaranteeing you that's going to happen because you saw it against Florida. The play wasn't there, but he wanted to go for it. He, later, he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have thrown it. Yeah, but looking back isn't good enough, you know, and you only threw well, the ball you did throw. less than – Yeah, you did throw, and you threw the ball less than 20 times and you made those two terrible throws against him not a good Florida defense so what are you doing you're throwing it more than double that yeah and the second interception I mean A.D. Mitchell was actually there it wasn't a bad decision on that second one it was it was, a, it was the right decision throw. A.D. had he had room he threw the ball so far to the inside to where it was easy to get picked by that safety coming we had we had a guy that was dragging across middle field that had the safety occupied Stetson needed to throw that ball to the outside. If Stetson throws the ball to the outside, it's probably a touchdown. But he threw the inside, basically the hash, and it hung up in the air. And it was just a dunk. It was a just dead on arrival pass. It was. I mean, the first one was a bad decision. The second one was just a terribly executed pass. So, but regardless, and, both and we're not even not good enough. Well, we're not even talking about that terrible intentional grounding um, at the goal line. Totally stunned to drive because we were going to probably go for it on that fourth down. Yep. Oh, we were definitely going to go for it on the fourth down, 100%. And see, and, and it's things like that. Like, I, he had the good throw to Kiaris. He had some good runs, yes, but you can't overlook the mistakes he made. And that's what I'm talking about when you're playing a good team, that where you're going to have to – you can't 
stall out drives or turn the ball over in those situations, especially when you're on their side of the field, is that's what I really question because, like I yeah. said, I go back to you're saying it continuity because that's what we're comfortable with. Well, the continuity didn't work out this time for sure. Or, I, I mean, it worked out because our defense was that good. What he was able to do with his legs on a couple of plays, extending, extending plays, um, a couple of scrambles there, quarterback draw for a first down. He can still do some things with legs that JT cannot, but there are obviously yeah. some things JT does that Stetson doesn't do. Well, either. especially so, one thing I've, I've noticed too is, I mean, I've stood by this, is Stetson's been good on first and second down, but he's not a good third down quarterback. And third right, and, is not good for Stetson. No, and when you're in a big game, you're going to have to convert third downs. And our third down percentage was definitely not good this game. And Stetson doesn't do well in third down in general because that's when you, teams know we're passing and he struggles when teams drop knowing you're passing. Yeah, I mean, third third and long is not good for Stetson. But I mean, we're 4-9 on third downs, um, which is fine. It's okay, uh, but it needs to be better than that. Yeah, I mean, he, he struggles in those situations. With Stetson, we need to stay ahead of the chains because that's where – that's where he can be effective is, is when we're ahead of the chains. Because Stetson can do some really good things, but situationally, he's really good. And situationally, he can be really bad, depending on that situation. One thing I want to push back on you a little bit, Curse, and you know, you and I have talked about this. I want to go back to what you said about Kirby Smart not having the guts to make the, the, the bold move and bench Stetson for JT. Here's what I would say about that. You know I've told you this. I'm going to put it on the air. I absolutely think Kirby Smart – is making decisions on the quarterback position based on what he thinks gives us the best chance to win. And I think you and I disagree there. I think he believes it. When you can say he's wrong, 100% you can say he's wrong. He might well be wrong. And I think in starting Stetson, I, I think it's probably wrong here. But I think he is making a decision based on what he thinks gives us the best chance to win. And once he's convinced that JT gives us the best chance to win right now, he will make that move. I don't think it's a lack of courage. I don't think it's a lack of guts. I think it's just based off what he's seen – in his mind, and he's a defensive guy, right? With how we're playing defensively, he's going to be conservative there, and you can disagree with that, and that's totally fair, hundred percent. But I don't think it's that he's like the idea that Curtis uh, that he's willfully playing a lesser quarterback gives us a lesser chance to win. I don't, I just don't buy that. I mean, he thinks Stetson right now gives us the best chance to win, at least in that game. Now, is that because? And here's one you got to consider, Curtis. I know that we know that JT's practicing and that he's cleared to play. But what exactly does that mean? Is JT we were all last year? JT was cleared. What in the world did that mean? We don't know. Like, how healthy is JT right now? How has he actually looked in practice? How much of that rust has he actually shook off at this point? Those are things we don't know that maybe, just maybe, Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin have more information on. Could, could that be a factor as well, the fact that JT just might not be there yet? It could be a factor, but the thing is, I think his decision-making in general, especially when it comes to quarterback or wanting to make the hard decision to replace someone, is flawed. I mean, I went. I brought it up to you then, or when we talked about it on Friday. Malcolm Parrish, Tyreek McGee had played really well that year. Now he wasn't some sh shut down person, but he sure as heck was better than Malcolm Parrish. And you see Malcolm Parrish getting picked on all national championship game, didn't make a change. So you allowed your team to lose because you wouldn't make a change in that situation. Now maybe you thought he was no better. Well, then I don't. I question your decision making, and that that's my thing. He was okay allowing Parrish to get picked on all game, all game, and never trying to make a change. Never tried to make a change. Justin Fields, the whole situation. Yeah, Fields wasn't ready to go right away, but he did absolutely nothing to try to work him in and get him in there. Like you saw with Clemson trying to get work, ways to work in Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence was ahead of Justin Fields. Um, absolutely. The way he was developed. Yeah. Coming in, yeah. yeah, but the fact is they did a good job of getting him in there and getting him reps more than just handing the ball off. And that's the fact is I don't believe he works people in well. 
I don't disagree with that. Okay, here's what I would say about Kirby Smart. And I think we have plenty of evidence to say this is the case right now. Going back to what you mentioned with Justin Field, like if you go back to like, uh, let's say Jake Fromm and Jacob Beeson, especially Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, and then obviously right now with Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels. I think it's fair to say that Kirby, I, mean, I don't even know if this is necessarily a criticism. I think this is just the reality. Kirby Smart is hyper-focused on the now. You get what I'm saying, Curtis? Like for him, it's about what do I have to do right now to win right now to win this game he's not looking ahead as much okay well who do we need to be able to beat in the sec championship game who do we need to be able to beat in the playoffs to him it's more important like right now who do we have to beat and who gives us the best chance right now and i think in a lot of ways that is helpful because it helps you get to that point but once you get to that point are you prepared to actually win that game does that make sense, Curtis? And I, and I think that's a bad – I get – like, I I'm agree with you. It's, sometimes it's good because it gets you to that game, but then it sure as heck does nothing, absolutely nothing to help you win that game because you haven't gotten who you need ready or gotten them the reps either, trying to go with a more safe bet at the time. Yeah, and, and it's it's just uh, – I mean, and some people would, would say he's doing the right thing. Some people criticize. I think it's just a preference thing there. I do I mean, want if to- anything, you've got to try to work people in too. Like, the fact is, like – Here's the thing, what uh, maybe Stetson's confidence, you're worried about his confidence, but with how bad our offense was playing, and if JT was good enough to go, you could have at least worked him in. Yeah. Because that's uh, what we are often, it's not like we weren't like we were weren't clicking or like that. It's not like we were clicking and you're like, okay, I don't want to rock the boat because we're playing really well on offense right now. That wasn't the all case right. at all on Saturday. We've got a lot more to get to, and I know you gotta get out of here. So we've got about 15, 20 minutes left. So I wanna just one last question here on the offense and quarterback and everything, and we'll move on and talk hit on a couple other things here. On a scale of one to ten, Curtis, how concerned are you about the offense right now? I'm gonna say a six or seven because right now we, I mean, while we're doing well, this game didn't help make me feel any better because you saw the turnovers and you saw how bad our offense was looking and it got bailed out, and it makes me afraid to when we're gonna have to face someone who actually scares us offensively. Even Tennessee scares me more, and I, our, what we saw Saturday is not good enough to beat Tennessee. I think I'm right there with you. I got a six or seven. Um, I don't think. The offense, as it's currently constituted, is good enough to a national title. Uh, I think we want to say this: we can, we can. I'm just not as confident in that as I was early in the season when we were fully healthy. Does that make sense? Like, I think we can win a national title, yeah. depending on the matchups and and how well the defense plays. Like, we can. I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't think we have as good of a chance to win a national title with how our offense is functioning right now as we would if we had a more dynamic passing game. I think that's just how I would put it right now. And I think we have the ability to get to that point, but, but time is running out and we keep saying, well, guys, you can get healthy guys can get healthy and guys get worked back in and things will change. And the longer we go with this being our identity, the more entrenched it's going to become and the harder it's going to get to try to pull out of it. And that's what concerns me. Like we need to get JT in there. And I, I think Stetson, I think we can win national titles, Stetson. I've said that. I just think that we have a better chance to win national title with JT being fully healthy. Now is JT healthy? And they, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I still have, I, I have some people that I know that say, no, he's just not there right now. And maybe that's the case. I don't know, but we need to get him back in there sooner rather than later in some way, shape or form. It's just got to happen. But all right, we got to move on here, Curtis. One thing I do want to say, one big takeaway for me in this game is I'll say this. I don't think we pay, played particularly well, especially on offense, as you well laid out there, Curtis. Uh, defensively, we gave, we gave up the edge in the run game too much. Uh, turn the ball over three times, costly penalties, uh, missed field goal, which is becoming too much of a trend for me, uh, missed oh, yeah. blocks in the run game at times. 
So it was not a, a stellar George performance. Honestly, it wasn't outside the defensive effort. Even defensively, we, get, we did some things that we've got to clean up. But saying all that, we still beat maybe, I'm not going to say the best team at this point. I think maybe Auburn is the best team that we played. But I would say maybe we beat maybe the most talented team that we played at this point by 27 points in a rivalry game in a neutral site. So that's got to say something, right, Curtis? I mean, we did not play well. We still won this game by 27 points. Oh, yeah, that's what I mentioned. You know, you look at the score chart, and you're like, oh, my God, we dominated them, which, I mean, it felt like in the end we did defensively, yeah. Like, And even then, you're right. We, like I, I mentioned earlier, we'd given up 68 yards in the rushing in the first half, and that's higher than our average. So we didn't, as you know, as well as our defense played, they still were not perfect. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I want to I want to narrow in on the defensive performance here, especially as it came to Anthony Richardson. Florida fans got what they had been clamoring for, man. They they've been asking for Anthony Richardson basically it feels like since the beginning of the season. Um, and he got his first start of, the, of his career against Georgia, which I told you guys coming in this week is like, yeah, he's talented. And he has a bye week to get ready. And like, maybe they'll have some different things. They had some trick plays in their sleeves. We were ready for them. But a true freshman, or not true freshman, but a redshirt freshman in his first career start against our defense, it wasn't a recipe for a lot of success. And it played out that way. It was certainly not the result that Florida fans were looking for. 12 of 20, 82 yards, 4.1 yards per attempt. After he was averaging like over 12 yards per attempt coming to the game. Uh, no touchdowns, two interceptions, 12 rushes for 26 yards. So, Curtis, simple question here, man. How were the dogs able to contain Richardson and shut down that vaunted offensive mastermind, Dan Mullen? Well, the biggest thing is, first off, they didn't give up the big play. Um, and they kind of made Anthony Richardson have to be methodical. And I don't think that's the, he's ready there yet to where he can put these drives together. Because there were some good, you know, every now and then they'd be like, okay, wow, they got a nice run. Or they did this thing right here, got a first down. But we didn't give up the big play, which you kind of forced him into making a mistake or showing his immaturity or his inexperience, I think is a better word. Um, and I think that was the biggest reason why. Um, because while we did give up the big thing, we it was almost like a bend but don't break for the most part because like, we forced them into not converting on fourth down or missing field goals in their own right also. Well, we just didn't help them out in this game. And the reason, I mean, look, they were really talented last year, obviously. They're much more talented offense than they are this year. But we helped them out a lot last year with really poor eye discipline. I told you guys that was my key to the game coming into the game. Which, yeah, we've got to be able to stop the run with even numbers. That's kind of goes without saying almost every game now. But we need to play a better eye discipline because that's how they murdered us last year with the running backs out of the backfield, the passing game. And if we play a better eye discipline, I didn't see how they're going to be able to move the ball consistently and kind of played out that way. They tried. You can see their game plan was to kind of stay ahead of the chains, third manageable. They weren't really taking shots down the field. They were trying to give them some easy, manageable throws, uh, quarterback run game, get the backs involved in the passing game again. But when we shut that down and they saw that we were actually going to play with eye discipline in the past game, and, oh, yeah, by the way, we also have Jordan Davis this time around. He didn't play last year to help control the ground game with even numbers, and we were to, to stay with that too-high shell like we are pretty much every single week to this point, and hopefully that stays the same. As if it does, I don't know how, how anyone's going to be able to score enough to beat us. They had no chance. I mean, guys, I told you last year, 
Their backs had 10 catches for 212 yards combined last year. They murdered us with their running backs in the passing game. They had five catches for 25 yards combined this year. That was the difference. That's how they beat us last year. And uh, we held them. I know they, they, you know, they, they ran for more yards on us than, than anyone else has, but we still held them under 100 yards uh, under their rush, about 100 yards under their rushing average. We held them two and a half yards per rush under their, their average. So when that wasn't working, they weren't able to gash us the run game like they have other teams this year because that's what they built their entire offense around. It's like, it's like all these other teams we played. These teams are built around run games that feature dual threat quarterbacks. And that's why I wasn't too nervous about this game other than just like the situation and the rivalry and the bye week and all that because it just wasn't a recipe to beat us. They don't have difference makers out wide and they don't have a quarterback right now that can beat you down the field. So they can't run the football and the, and the running backs aren't hurting the passing game. Then how are they going to score on us? And, and yeah, Richardson looked great against LSU. And that's, listen, all these people talking about how great he was. How he was, a, he was in a challenge just down the field. It's like, come on, man. Like, did you, did you actually watch the LSU floor game? That was far more about LSU and how poorly they played defensively and how really they made it easy on him. It was more about them than it was about that Richardson and how good he was. I mean, he, he, he took what they gave him, but LSU was so undisciplined defending him in that game, flying up the field on the edges, missing tackles. They were just flat out terrible in that game. And we just, honestly, we did what we've done all year. And we made a run-heavy offense with a dual-threat quarterback. We took that away and made them beat us to the air. And once again, they couldn't do it. Just like Arkansas couldn't do it. Just like Kentucky couldn't do it. Just like Auburn couldn't do it. They're different offenses, but they're kind of built the same. And that's just kind of how I felt coming to the game. I thought this is probably how it would play out. And, yeah, it did. But, Curtis, I do want to ask you this, man. Just like the Kentucky game, we saw yet another late drive for a touchdown where the opposing offense threw their way down the field after we were up big. Any concerns there? Yeah, and it's not – my only concern is what was the problem. If you w- went back and watched the replay, you see Ringo just totally bailing out and expecting someone to drop in the zone and him and Kirby kind of getting into it a little bit. But the fact is, I mean, that worries me just because what if it wasn't – well, that was the blunt. Uh, it wasn't know. so much Ringo there. It was actually Brady, in my opinion, who was supposed to have the flat. But, but, the, fact it, but yeah. the fact is, blown we covered. had blown, yeah, covered. blown coverage. And that, that is what's going to worry me because if it was a tight game, then I might be a little bit more worried. Yeah, look, I, they, they were nickel and diming their way down the field. They, didn't, they hit like, no big plays in the game. Like, there were two plays they gave us where, we were, where, where Ringo was bailing out there at the snap. We were supposed to have – I think it was Brady was supposed to be in the flat there. He was playing man coverage. He was in the wrong coverage. Happened two times in that drive. Gave him about a combined 30 to 40 yards on those two plays. But they didn't hit anything down the field. They were just nickel and diming their way. We were playing – I don't want to say soft, but softer than we would typically. Like, in those situations, just like against Kentucky, we weren't playing the same style of defense that we would play – throughout the rest of the game. I mean, that's why they were able to do that in that drive and not the rest of the game was we were just playing a little bit differently in, in a crunch time scenario. We're not going to play it like that. We're playing a little bit softer there. So I'm not too worried about it. I would prefer them not to score. I mean, I was, I really, really wanted to end that streak. The floor had the longest streak in the nation of not being shut out. I really wanted to end that. And it kind of, I'm not gonna lie. It pissed me off that we didn't, but it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not really concerned about it though. I mean, it's just a function of, the, the situation and then just taking what we were giving them there. But uh, Kurt, I did allude to it. We're going to get to our game balls here in just a second, but I alluded to it a second ago. I have been meaning to ask you, so I know we're running out of time, but I've got to fit it in this time because I've been meaning to ask you about this for a couple of weeks. We always run out of time talking about offense and defense. But Jack Podlesny missed another field goal on Saturday. Yeah, ultimately it did not end up mattering. He hasn't been terrible this year, but being in a closer game is a better team even though it didn't matter on Saturday, it absolutely could in a different scenario. So, Curtis, I'm asking the same question about Pod as I did about the offense. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you about Pod in our kicking game right now? 
Oh, I'm at eight or nine because the fact is he's likely to have at least one miss every game, and you don't know if when that one miss is going to come, especially in a big game. I mean, if you look at the number, I think he's only missed four on the year, if I'm correct. I think he's, I think that's right. I think he's 12 of 16 on the year. I think that's right. So it's like, it hasn't been a disaster, but there's just been some kicks and moments where it's like, it's not even close, right? Like that kick he missed was just not close. And no, it was over near the game. I mean, it's a tight game. And at that point, like we didn't know how it was end up playing out. Those points mattered. I mean, you get against Alabama, probably in the SEC title game. You gotta have those points. I mean, I don't say he was automatic. I think he was thirteen to sixteen last year, so he's kind of like on the same trajectory as he was last year. But I mean, like, and I know we're 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 nitpicking here. I understand that, but some of those kicks he's missed, some of them were not. I mean, some of them were longer kicks. I think he's uh, two of four from forty to forty nine right now. Five of seven from thirty to thirty nine. He's hit all of them twenty to twenty nine. I don't think he's tried one from fifty plus. Now last year he was three of three from fifty plus. So we know Pod can do it. My concern is I know Pod can do. It. I have faith in Pod. My concern is with kickers, it can that switch can flip in a second, right, Curtis? It oh, can, it it's can such snowball. a mental it position. Can can yeah, absolutely. And that's what concerns me. As I don't want it to get in his head. And it concerns me. I'm not saying it's in his head. I don't I even mean, want to put that out in the universe, but it concerns me. Look back, look back at Blair Walsh. That guy for years was Mr. Consistent Everything. Bingo. This last year, head case. Bingo. He was, I mean, kicking well in the NFL and then missed a missed a big field goal and it just it snowballed. He can never quite get it back mentally. So kickers, man, like you can be great. Like Pod was last year, and I and Pod's still the same guy. But like when it gets into your head, it's really hard, man. It's tough. Like, like I would, I don't ever envy a kicker in those crunch time situations. I don't envy any kicker in that spot because that's tough. But man, like it's that's concerning to me. I'm just gonna put that out there. That's something that I think he can do it. I've got confidence in. It. We've seen it, but it's certainly concerning for me. Something to watch here down the stretch. Um, all right, Curtis, last thing here. Let's get to our game balls. Um, to me, like I have my list of guys I can give them to. It is very defensive heavy because, as you mentioned, the offense was mm-hmm. – it wasn't a, oh, yeah. it wasn't a spectacular offensive performance. But uh, let's go ahead, here, Curtis. I know you got to run here in a minute. Uh, who gets your first game ball? Um, first, I'm going to give it to the one guy on offense I think deserves it, and that's Ozemir White. Um, played – ran real tough, broke that last one, which helped us get our first running back over 100 yards this year, which just sounds crazy. Um, but the fact is I want to give it to him, you know, first one to break a hundred. And the fact is I thought he ran, even when he wasn't getting those big yards, he was running tough and was hard to bring down. Zeus is the beast, man. I, I, we said a couple weeks back, Zeus is our best running back. I think he needs more carries to be honest with you. I know James is doing a good job too, but I mean, Zeus, McIntosh I, now is struggling. Yeah. I mean, coming back off the, off the hamstring thing, that, that's tough. Um, yeah, but Zeus yeah. is the guy, I think he's the kind of guy also that physically is it gets better as he gets more carries and it's lathered up. So I would like to see us. If this is going to be what we are offensively. Feed the beast at this point. Feed the beast. I'm with you there, Curtis. All right, you went offense. Um, even though it wasn't a stellar offensive performance, I'm going to go offense too since you did. Uh, my one offensive guy, uh, Kiaris Jackson. Uh, Kiaris Jackson oh, is yeah. a guy that's been missing in action most of the year coming off that knee injury. He's been returning punts. He's been worked in a little bit offensively. Do you get the feel, Curtis, that Kiaris is getting closer and closer to being back to 100% offensively? You do. Um, he, he seems to be more comfortable, like, trusting almost. Yeah, and that could be a huge shot in the arm for this offense with a team that's been battling injuries at that position all year. He's been fighting back. Uh, but Kiaris had, obviously, his best game of the year. Had a huge catch that really kind of uh, – I, I don't want to say put the game out of reach. I guess to ultimately it did put the game out of reach, but that was a huge – I mean, the Kobe's pick six was huge. But before that, the touchdown pass, off the, the first play off the interception uh, by Nolan Smith – 
uh, taking that shot there, taking that, that kill shot. That was a huge play. It's a great throw by Stetson. I want to give him credit, but a great catch. Way to stay in bounds by, by Kieris on that slot fade there. So three, he led the team in receiving three catches, 59 yards, touchdown. Great Stephen Kieris. Really excited to get him back in the swing of things. Hopefully that's just a sign of things to come for Kieris. Um, all right, Kurt, who you got next? Um, uh, Nolan Smith, um, guy showed hands I didn't even know he had, especially on that interception. Um, fighting with Richardson for that pick uh, or for that the strip, I mean, you just got to give the credit. I mean, he kept fighting, kept fighting, and you know, just ripped the ball away. And this was someone that you know we weren't sure what we were going to get because last year he kind of disappeared. So I, I definitely think he deserves it. He got stuck on the depth chart a little bit last year, but he kept working. Was, he actually asked Kirby to go down the scout teams from last year to get more reps and get better. He's a great kid, an awesome emotional leader for our team. And those are two impact plays, man. Impact plays. Now the, the, the strip was all him. Now, I would say Trevon Walker was a guy that really made the play on the interception, but it was still a great catch there uh, on the deflection for, for Nolan. It's a great one. I'm going to go to Kobe Dean here. Um, yeah. Is the Buckus Award or Kobe Dean's award to lose at this point? I mean, I feel like it is, but you'll see. I feel like you'll see people like Bumper Pool in there who just rack up. Jesus tackles. Christ! Yeah, just because they rack up five million tackles. Yeah, so yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, but another. I mean, just sitting there now. It was great. It's a terrible throw by by Anthony Richardson there. Terrible decision. Throwing from the opposite hash on a, a ten yard out route there when he knows that we got safety help over the top. So you you can allow our, a guy like uh, Nakoki sit there and just squat on the route. And he read the quarterback the whole way and had no chance. And hung him in the air forever. Pick six is easy. Terrible decision. Can't make that throw. But Nakoki was there. He made the play. Um, plays lights out against the run week in and week out. That's an awesome job. That pick six absolutely sealed the deal in the first half. I mean, I was losing my mind. I almost jumped over the railing there after that. Uh, it was just awesome, awesome play. So Nakoki gets it for me. Who gets your last one, Curtis? My last one's guys. You mentioned him, Trevon Walker. That play he oh, made he on that it. throw was very athletic. And then not only that, but when they were trying to run on the edge, he was closing on them like he was a linebacker. I mean, he was just showing killer speed out there and just blowing it up. And I, he just played well all around, in my opinion. How does a man that size contort his body like he did on that deflection? That's the thing. I mean, you're seeing – people have to remember, go back go back and look at his highlights from when he played basketball. The guy is an incredible athlete. Windmilling dunks all over the place. I mean, he's an incredible athlete. The guy that size, 285 pounds, moving like he does and being that athletic to contort your body like that. I mean, we were dropping him in coverage quite a bit. And he's so athletic. A lot lot of times you see these guys just drop into coverage and they don't actually do anything. They're just kind of there taking up space. But with a guy like Trevon Walker, that's not what's happening when he's dropping into coverage. He's dropping his zones. He's spot dropping. Yeah. But he's actually reading the quarterback, and he has the athleticism to make plays against the ball, like you saw on Saturday, where he created that play. He created that turnover. Yes, no one gets credit for the interception, but make no mistake about it, that was Trevon Walker right there who made that play. And that's the kind of thing that makes this defense so difficult to defend. It's not just the linebackers like N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker and Channing Tindall and Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson who have all this athleticism. It's the guys on the defensive line. You've seen how Jordan Davis can move at 350 plus pounds. You've seen how Jalen Carter is so explosive on the defensive line. You can say the same thing about Devontae White. He's a highly athletic defensive lineman. And Walker is a guy that, you know, we did our midseason review last week coming into this Florida week, and we gave out some awards. And one of the awards we gave out was Unsung Hero. And I don't think Walker made that list, or he I don't think he was one of the nominees for that award, but he absolutely could be, and he probably should have been, because this is a guy that 
doesn't get the love of Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean and Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith and those kind of guys, by really by virtue of the position he plays, in our scheme, the five-tech defensive end, that's not what I would call a glory position. You're not going to be making typically a ton of like big stat stuffing plays. You're not going to be getting after the quarterback. You're not going to be sacking the quarterback as much like your outside linebackers are going to. You're not going to be creating as many tackles for loss. It's just not what that position necessarily is designed to do, but it is still a critical position in our defense. And he has such versatility with his athleticism that we're able to do different things with him. He's a very different five-tech guy than the guys we've had in the past, guys like Malik Herring, guys that Jonathan Ledbetter back in like the 2016-2017 season. He's a different guy. He's more athletic than those guys. So he can give us more pass rush from that position. I thought Malik Herring gave us more pass rush than Ledbetter. I think Walker takes it to a different level. He can also slide inside on third down packages and get matched up with guards and be a pass rush issue for them there. Again, also, as you saw in that play, has the ability to drop into coverage on some fire zone stuff and just do some different things. This is a lot of versatility defensively to really kind of mix things up and just make it even harder for us to defend. So again, it's not just the linebackers who are that athletic. It's our defensive lineman and Walker's a guy that really flies under the radar because we just have so many other incredible players. I mean, think about it, guys. Think about if Walker was on any other team besides this Georgia defense. He'd be the star of that team. He'd be the guy that everyone's game playing around, the, the player that everyone's talking about coming to the game. It's not really the case because he's almost like an afterthought at times on our defense because we're just so talented, but he's not an afterthought type player. That dude is an absolute beast. Better enjoy while we have him because he's one of those guys, I'm, I'm going to say it right now, he's gone after this year. He is too athletic. He's going to make an NFL roster. He's going to be a good player in the NFL for years to come. He actually might be one of those guys that ends up having a better pro career than a college career, depending on where he ends up and what scheme he ends up in. But he's a big time player, no doubt about it. And all right, guys, that brings me to my final game ball that I'm going to hand out here. And this is a tough one. I got two guys that I'd love to give this to. Jordan Davis deserves one every single game for what he does, even though he doesn't necessarily make the tackles for loss, their sacks. He is the key to what we do every single game. So in my mind, he basically has like a perpetual game ball for what he does for our defense, allowing us to defend the run with even numbers. He's the key to all of that. But I'm going to go for this specific game. Let's go with Quay Walker. This guy was all over the field. You guys know how I feel about him if you've listened to the show for a while. As good as N'Kobe is, and I think N'Kobe might well end up winning the Buckus Award for the top linebacker in the country this year. I think he's certainly on the short list. As good as he is, and as much as I love Nakobe, I think Quay has a higher ceiling athletically than Nakobe does. I think he has the highest ceiling of any of our linebackers, and they're all really, really good. So that's saying something. I think he's probably going to end up having the best pro career if he continues on this trajectory. He's just taking his game to another level. Talk about versatility. He flies all over the field. He's a silent-to-silent type backer. He has that kind of speed, that kind of athleticism. He's really grown as a guy that can cover in space well. He's always been a really good blitzer because that's really what he did in high school. And this year, he's just taken his game to another level. And I really believe when it's NFL draft time here in a couple months, I think you're going to start to see Quay Walker fly up those draft boards once these NFL scouts get a look at him in person, once they see him on the hoof there at at, uh, the NFL Combine here at Georgia's Pro Day. I think he has a legitimate shot. I don't know if it'll happen right now. Like, Let's see how things play out, but I think he has a legitimate shot 
to end up as a first-round draft pick when it's all said. Now, it certainly would not surprise me to see him kind of sneak into the late first round there. And I think he had an outstanding game. He was flying all over the place, great in coverage, great against the run, making impact plays for us. And that's really nothing new. He's just kind of always in the shadow of N'Kobe Dean, but it was really on full display Saturday in Jacksonville. All right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. You guys know how much we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us here each and every week. Charlie and I will be back later on this week. I'm actually recording the episode here in just a few minutes once Charlie gets here. We'll have that mailbag episode for you guys a little bit later this week where we take one final look back at the things that Curtis and I did not get a chance to discuss here on this official recap episode. And this week, we'll also take a look ahead to the very first cultural playoff rankings that will be released this Tuesday evening. So we'll have all that for you. Then I'll be back later on the week with our official Missouri game preview episode and Char and I will wrap things up with our picks of the week. So we have another great week of content lined up for you guys. Hope everyone had an awesome weekend, a great Halloween. Hope you guys have an even better week this week. Check back with us later this week. We have a lot of great stuff for you. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.